welcome to the latest edition of the Business Matters Podcast with me, Richard Alvin, Managing Editor. I'm pleased to be joined today by Peter Riding, the award-winning CEO, mentor and founder of VOSC, the AI e-coaching interactive software for employees company. Um, Peter, that no way gives you credit for your bio, um, given that you started in the biochemistry industry um, and have uh, some of the, large, the globe's, globe's largest companies and have turned around, I think it's about 25 companies. So probably better if I hand over to you so you can uh, actually tell us a little bit more about yourself first. Sure. Thank you, Richard. Well, I was very fortunate. I uh, grew up in my career in, in the 80s and I joined Exxon which at the time was the biggest company in the world. Um, and there it was all about big. I then moved to the fast-moving consumer goods sector with Mars, the chocolate and pet food company. And that was all about speed. Then I mo- moved into the crazy world of music with EMI, which is all about creativity and drugs and sex and rock and roll. But let, let's, let's focus on creativity for the moment. I then became a venture capitalist with 3i, which was really all about financial engineering and the power of teams versus plans. Because Exxon and Mars were all about planning. That's what was at the heart of their success. But the one thing we discovered as a venture capitalist was that when you invested in an entrepreneur, you knew that the plan was not going to work. The business plan was not going to be delivered as it was laid out. You were investing in the people, not the plan. And at that point, I became really interested in that I'd worked for these radically different companies, all very successful, and I wanted to understand what was at the heart of their success. And so I ended up going on this sort of Iron John retreat in the middle of the New Forest for a few days and nights, and I discovered who I was at a very deep level. And that was, to cut a long story short, that is Pathfinder. And this made sense to me and sense of my career and everything I was doing, and that what Pathfinder means to me is that I'm one of my talents is I can help people paint a picture of their future that they want that is better than where they are now. And I can then help them find their path to that better future. That's what I'm good at. And what I then realized is when I look back at my life, I'd often help people, friends, strangers in the pub sometimes, just thinking through what they wanted. And as a result of that, I decided to become trained as a coach as well as my CEO career. And so I was one of the first master coaches and mentors in Europe. This is about 1999. Um, And so in parallel to ending up being a serial CEO, a turnaround CEO, it's very kind of you to say 25. It's 14 companies, actually, I've rescued from bankruptcy, two PLCs. So in parallel to being a turnaround CEO, I was actually coaching other CEOs as well. And from that, I discovered the power of learning and the power of coaching. One of the businesses I rescued was John Cleese's Video Arts International. Real pleasure working with him for about four years. I learned a lot about the power of telling stories. You know, real caveman thing. We've always loved stories. You know, the the paintings on Lascaux Caves. It's about hunting and and gods and love and stuff. And interestingly, the music industry is really about love and sex. It's all about that, you know, most songs are about love or sex, and it's about telling the story. And so since then, when I coach people or help people become a more inspirational leader, part of it is painting pictures of the future and helping your employees understand the path to get there. 
It's also about being inspirational through telling stories. And as a coach, what I often have to do is I have to get my clients to understand, to to share with me their story. How did they get to where they are? Because along the way, you always discover hints and insights that might have built self-limiting beliefs, like imposter syndrome, I don't deserve to be here. Also, critical events that gave them confidence to go on to the next stage. And so I just find, and I was very fortunate, the career I had gave me an immense privilege to have worked with great people, seen them up close, also to understand the power of people and the pathfinding. And therefore, I'm very lucky. I live my life on purpose in the double sense. I have a plan and I follow it. Also, though, my purpose is to find the path for other people, whether I'm doing pro bono work with disadvantaged kids, as a turnaround CEO, as a coach to CEOs, and I'm also chair of the governors of the oldest primary school in the world. And, you know, I've had to help that management team go through the COVID crisis. Um, so I'm very, very fortunate. Um, we talk about, obviously, stories uh, and, and you working with, with entrepreneurs and businesses with their journey and stories. Many journeys, uh, I think probably every journey, you know, <laughs> has been derailed or diverted over the last couple of months. So yes. is there a common thread um, that our UK SME audience, or oh, we've got a global SME audience here listening, um, could, you know, some quick wins that you see across the board that, um, uh, you know, businesses, you know, if they just tweak this or just change that, given the current situation, they find themselves very different to the one they were in three, four months ago, um, could actually affect quite fast change um, and, and almost put them back onto that, either the same path going in the right direction or a different path, um, but still still surviving and, and, and not get, getting into financial problems as, as many may be at the moment? Well, very interesting question, Rich. Um, first of all, as a turnaround expert, uh, cash is king. And especially now, people have to understand that. Many people know two lines of a, of a phrase, which is sales is vanity, profit is sanity. Not as many people know the third line, cash is reality. It doesn't matter if you're profitable. If you run out of cash, you go bankrupt. So I'm encouraging everyone I know to manage cash closely, manage costs closely. And now is not a time to be overly generous with people who say, look, my business is really suffering. Please can I have an extra month, an extra two months? Because you are putting your financial security, the, your employees' security, potentially your family's security at risk because any company is saying, look, we really, please can I have another two months extension? They are sadly probably the companies that will go bankrupt. So be very, very careful about giving people extra credit instead try and get cash in. So I guess one tip I would say is cash is king. A second is people... I I genuinely believe people are our most important asset. Um, Many people say it, not many people really live it. However, right now, I believe people have become the very heart of every business agenda. We know there's a talent shortage. You You can no longer hire someone. If it doesn't work out, fire them and hire someone else. There just isn't enough talent out there. Uh, you've got to make do with what you've got. You need to, to coach them. You need to 
um, support them. You need to get them to learn new skills. You need to encourage and inspire them. Inspiration is the number one thing that, that employees want from their manager. You need to be building trust and you need to be communicating with them richly. Um, and you also need to show compassion, caring, and empathy. Um, what, one thing that Gandhi, I'm a great believer in many of the things that, that Gandhi said, one of them is standing in someone else's shoes isn't enough. You have to walk a mile in their shoes to really understand the feelings, what they're scared of, what they're worried about. And in the moment, many employees are scared about COVID, financial security, all sorts of things. And if you can show em empathy, and empathy, again, not everyone knows what empathy means. What, it, what empathy means is you don't understand other people's feelings, you feel other people's feelings. And if you walk a mile in someone's shoes, the more chance of feeling it. And when you feel people's real concerns about, well, you know, I've got, a, I've got an elderly father who is used to be shielding, they're not well, and you're telling me I've got to come into work and I've got to wear a face mask. Um, and I think nowadays you, you've got to genuinely believe that people are your most important assets and love them to bits. There was a wonderful book in America I came across about 15 years ago, which was put your customers second, meaning that if you don't put your people first, why will they put your customers first? So, so delegate that customer care to your people, love your people to bits and support them, and let make sure they are then motivated to look after your customer. And I think maybe the third tip I would say for any, anyone, especially SMEs at the moment, is that your, your plan A is probably shot to pieces and you need a plan B. Um, and there is a, a theory of success curves, which we don't have time to go in now. But basically, it says everything goes in cycles and you've got to treat post-COVID as a new cycle. COVID might have been a short cycle, but the new cycle, you can't assume that the way to succeed in the new post-COVID cycle will be what you used to do pre-COVID. Generically, what gets you here, what got you here won't get you there. Um, and I think it's very important to get, to get the core essentials right in plan B. Um, I don't know if we've got time, Richard, to go through a, a very, very quick exercise that your listeners could do live. Yeah, we have. Because, um, because my next question, because you've literally brought me on to my next question, so we, we have a little bit of time here to explore it, because I was actually going to ask, you know, we're now starting to ramp up coming out of lockdown. Um, what do you think, you know, post-COVID and the new, lock, the new normal will look like? So that pretty much leads on to, you know, the sort of exercise. Yeah, sure. Um, yes, okay. So I think there's going to be more remote working. We've proven that you can do a lot more online than we thought before uh, with, uh, you know, plasma screens and cardboard cutouts in football stadiums. And um, when comedians are now presenting to, to an audience sitting in their cars, then they are now recognising that, you know, blowing a horn is the same as the old applause, and that's brilliant. So, so COVID and change is driving more innovation. Um, we, I think agility used to be seen as sort of an organisational competence somehow. I think increasingly agility is being seen as a state of mind. It's a mindset because we have shown that you can rapidly go from a workforce in the office to a workforce at home. Sure, there have been some challenges, not all very easy, but if you've got the right mindset, 
and you embrace change. It's amazing what you can do. And I think one of the, the VUCA phrase about the world is all about volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and anxiety. Uh, sorry, and ambiguity. Um, and instead of saying, oh, my God, isn't that scary? You need to say, isn't that brilliant? Because so many more opportunities are going to come our way. And if we can be better at dealing with VUCA than our competition, we will grow. And you know, so much in life, it's not what happens to you. It's the way you choose to react to what happens to you. And I think um, if people can choose to embrace all of this, it'll, be, it'll help them and their businesses thrive. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things I discovered when I was a venture capitalist with 3i, I, we did a lot of research in what differentiates entrepreneurs who've got their business to maybe a, a small to medium-sized business and they want to take it to the next step. Some failed and some succeeded. And some did it two or three times over. And when we looked at it, four things emerged as a common trait of entrepreneurs who made that transition versus those that didn't. The first was what we called um, an outcome. This is having total clarity of the vision that you want. Um, you know, NASA, famous, you know, with um, JFK famously said in 1960 about, we're going to get a man to the moon and safely home again by the end of the, the, the decade. And then when Nixon went to Cape Canaveral, supposedly anyway, in 1969, just before Apollo 13 took off, and he supposedly came across a janitor, said, what do you do? And the man said, I am part of the team getting a man to the moon and safely home again by the end of the decade. Now, that is, that's in a way easy because they had such an exciting mission. But my experience of inspiring people about a vision and a purpose and, um, and a, a, an exciting outcome, it isn't what it is, it's how you express it. How do you take your organization's mission and value add to a meaningful sense for employees. I did some work with QuickFit many years ago. And at the time, the guys who changed the exhausts and the uh, tires were called grease monkeys. Their managers called them grease monkeys. Hardly inspirational. What we said to them is, do you realize you have your clients' lives in your hands? Literally. Because if you don't tighten those um, nuts up tight, um, a wheel will come off, people could die. You are a very responsible person. And all of a sudden, it changed their mindset. So the first thing is to have a vision, a a, a clearly defined outcome, which is expressed in an inspiring way. And just to go through this very quick exercise, if your listeners wouldn't mind just right now, now, writing down on a piece of paper, um, the the first letter is O for outcome. And just write down, do you think in your organization right now, you have got an exciting vision or outcome to, to, to which of these extents, either very high, high, medium, or low. And just put next to the O, VH for very high, H for high, M for medium, L for low. Just put that down. The second thing we discovered was critically important was how much have you fired up your workforce and all of your stakeholders, your customers, your investors, and your employees, certainly, how much have you fired them up so that they are passionate about going the extra mile for you to achieve your outcome? Because if there isn't, you know, what's in it for me? Because if you can't articulate that to your stakeholders, why should they give a damn? 
So again, if, if your listeners now could just write down to the next item, which is D for desire, to what extent in your organization right now have you got this um, strong design, all of your stakeholders, all of your key stakeholders anyway, very high, high, medium or low? The third thing is um, how well have you defined the handful of critical things that will make all the difference? And this uses the Pareto rule of 20% of what we do delivers 80% of the things. Now, unfortunately, in life and in business, we tend to allocate 20% of our effort on the 20% of things that do 80% of the impact. And we spend 80% of our time on the 80% of stuff that doesn't have much impact. So one thing you can do, one thing I do as a turnaround guy and as a coach, I help people work out what are the 20% of things that will make all the difference moving forward. And that's critical now, Richard, because we're in this post, or very soon we'll be coming out of COVID, and you need to be totally clear. What are the 20% of things that will make all the difference post-COVID? And then find a way of focusing 80% of your people, your resources, your your capital, your brain space on those 20% of things. And it turns out it's round about seven. You know, sometimes when I take over a company, I ask the board, um, you know, tell me, what, what's at the heart of your strategy? And they say, Peter, we focus on one thing alone, it's customers. And I say, okay, well, what about your shareholders? What about your employees? It doesn't work. Life isn't that simple. And other companies, they say, Peter, we're really into strategy. We've got 23 key strategies. Let me tell you about them. I say, whoa, hang on a minute. No, 23 doesn't work either. It turns out around about seven. So to, to what extent, and again, this is maybe for your listeners just to write down next to the, um, to the I, which is important, how well have you got defined in your business a handful, seven-ish, could be six or eight, but it's not 23 and it's not one, critical things that will make all the difference, the 20% of things that deliver 80% of the value, um, very high, high, medium or low. And then lastly, um, take action. So T for take action. Um, to what extent have you actually got a well thought through plan with greater granularity in the short term, less granularity in the long term? You've got a critical path clearly defined and everyone understands where they fit on it. And so when people go home at the end of the week, not only hopefully have they had feedback from their manager, how well have they done, but also they know how their day-to-day -day activities have connected to at least one or two of these critical success factors, the seven critical things. Because if they do, they go home and they tell their friends and family how proud they are. If they don't, it's work. And so again, if your listeners could, ju could just uh, write down very high, high, medium or low next to, to each one. So now hopefully you've got four letters, you've got the O for outcome, the D for desire, the I for important, and the T for take action. And each of those should be rated for your business at the moment, very high, high, medium, or low. So now to turn this into what I call the formula of success, and this is absolutely applicable for coming out of COVID, convert each rating to a number. So very high is three, high is two, medium is one, and low is zero. So you should now have four numbers, one next to each of outcome, desire, important, take action. And what you now do is you multiply those numbers together. You don't add them, you multiply them together. So you could have scored 81, 
If all of those four things were very high, you'd have three by three by three by three, 81. And also, if any of those is zero, then the whole answer is zero. Now, if anyone feels that's a bit of a trick, cheat and put zero one, I believe it's true. If you've got some beautifully shiny stainless steel vanadium chromium uh, chain, but one rusty link and that breaks, it doesn't matter how good the rest of the chain is. Um, And so you ended up with a number. Now, just reflect on that number. Often people discover that they've got a very low number, sometimes between zero and 12. That's positive in a way because however successful your business is now, you've achieved that with a relatively low number. If you can get your act together and move towards 81, that's one of the things I do as a, as a business coach and as an advisor, I take companies to 81. Um, just think what you could achieve then. And coming out of COVID, I would encourage everyone just to take stock rate themselves in those four areas. And the beauty is, anywhere you have a zero, focus on that. Go for the low-hanging fruit. And then gradually you raise all the numbers and gradually get to 81. And I think those maybe those three bits of advice about cash is king, um, really treating your people as if they really are your most important asset, because they are, and then coming up with a plan B I probably, you know, any organization that can do those three things well, you are ahead of lots of others, ahead of lots of other people. Um, over the last couple of days, the government's been urging sort of businesses and workers to go back to their desks uh, to try to get the economy restarted. Um, but is that actually something that we should be doing blindly? Because, I mean, a lot of the, you know, don't get me wrong, the economy does need to restart and restart quickly. Um, however, by almost being forced into that old mindset of going back to the office, back to their desk, et cetera, et cetera, um, has to run, run the risk of almost dropping back into those old pre-COVID thought processes. Um, whereas, you know, a number of businesses, don't get me wrong, have had to evolve and had to, to, to pivot and, and make changes. But, you know, the Darwin theory for those hasn't kicked in. You know, they are still going. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, and we, do we not need to be careful? I think we do personally, but do we not need to be careful of, of going back to you know where we were back in March, the start of March, as a business and, and a, a, with the thinking, as opposed to actually saying, hang on a second, all of our staff or sixty percent of our staff working remotely actually makes sense. You know, our numbers are pretty much where they need to be. Um, you know, staff are actually probably doing a couple of hours extra because they're starting work when they would normally start their commute. Um, and actually, you know, we can actually give up this lease or, or you know, re- remove a floor or, or whatever else. Um, so, so actually, yes, profitability or income turnover may be slightly lower. However, the cost base is also slightly lower, if not more substantially lower than the loss of income. And so actually companies are actually rebasing themselves and actually more profitable. Yes. I think one of the biggest drivers of performance and productivity at an individual and an organizational level is employee engagement, which is where employees choose to put in um, the, the optional extra work. They stay late. They do whatever it takes instead of just trying my best. And employee engagement typically comes from treating people as grown-ups respectfully. Um, they they give them an overall vision and mission and inspiration that they can be proud of being part of. And whether you're working at home or, or, 
or back in the office, um, that requires caring leadership and management. And I think mo- most middle managers that I've come across in the UK for the last 20, 30 years typically aren't actually very good, often because they haven't been trained how to have awkward, how, how to have awkward discussions, difficult conversations, how to build trust nowadays remotely. How do you inspire someone to do their best instead of micromanaging them? Because clearly you can't micromanage people at home. And so I think you're right. Every organization has to recognize that the world is going to move forward, not as a repeat of how it was before. I agree with you fully, Rich, that that we've got to get the UK going again. So businesses have to get going. And I think it's up to the leadership to make sure that people come back when they do come back, they're happy, they feel that they're being cared for and precautions are being taken. But also you ask, as a leader, you ask your people, what have we learned? How can we make the better the, the future better instead of just going back to the old ways? And if you can engage all of your workforce, all of your people, um, they will come up with brilliant ideas. And I think Again, if you have a diverse work workforce where you've got lots of multicultural ideas and innovation, they will come up with a lot of ideas. And as long as you truly listen and you then genuinely take their feedback and comments and use it to improve your business, it is a massive, massive win-win. Yeah. Um, with... Given your, sort of your, your, your coaching background, um, with so many people now working from home and potentially staying working from home, I mean, you know, that brings with it um, a different weight for middle managers and uh, the UK sort of SME owner managers um, of actually having to change their whole, the, the way they manage their staff, potentially change the culture um, uh, with that motivation, mental health, and, and sort of cultural change. Um, how easy is it going to be for them to make that change um, to actually allow staff to actually work from home and still look after them and foster them uh, and, and the innovation and creativity? Um, or do you think you know, it's going to take a good while and, and there's going to be a good few slip-ups along the way? <laughs> I'm sure there'll be some slip-ups. And I think, you know, whenever you have innovation, you've got to accept some mistakes will be learned. One trick is there's a process called test and learn, which is where you purposely choose to, to test a new idea out. Um, and there's a concept called minimum value proposition, where you put the minimum effort in to prove whether something is workable or not. If it fails, you shut it down and you start something else. If it works, you then have to be ready to scale it up quickly. So that's the concept of, of that sort of cycle of innovation. I think there's, there's an old term in psychology called situational leadership. And what that means is not only do we have to treat all of our employees as individuals, which hopefully people do do, you know, there is no panacea in the way you manage people. You get extrovert, extroverts and introverts. You get people who are are passionate and you get people who aren't, you get people who are going through a, a difficulty in their private life. So you have to treat each individual differently. What situational leadership does though, it adds on another layer, which says you have to treat people differently depending on the situation they're in. So if you had a top salesperson who becomes a sales manager, they might have been great at selling, but you have to give them more coaching to be the manager. If you had an extrovert who was the life and soul of the office, 
and they've been working at home on their own for the last three months, instead of thinking, well, they're okay, they can, they're always happy, you now need to think, well, that person maybe needs more human touch and, and support and coaching than before. And so situational leadership says you need to treat each individual in each situation differently. And that certainly applies for as we come back out of remote working. Mental health has already been an issue. And I think, sadly, um, domestic violence has gone up, I think, partly due to the pressures of mental health. And increasingly, that is not only a legal responsibility, but employees expect a manager and a company to look after not just themselves, but their colleagues. And if, if you're an employee and you've got a colleague that you care about going through mental health issues or motivational issues, and the company and the manager doesn't do anything, that diminishes your trust and confidence and belief in the manager and the company, and you're more likely to go. And as we said before, there is a shortage of talent. So it is both the morally the right thing to do to take care and look after people with mental health or motivational issues. Business-wise, you will suffer as well if you don't. Um, and also, I think, interestingly, we did a survey about three years ago on what do you most want from your customer? And inspirational leadership came back as the number one, always does. We've been doing that survey for over 20 years. Something that was interesting, though, is most managers want more praise and recognition from their boss. They want them to say thank you. Now, when you ask the managers, the managers say, well, I do say thank you. But often it's done in a dismissive way, which isn't meaningful. So if someone stayed late the night before, maybe three hours late, they cancel go and see their kids at a pantomime or something. And then next day you say, oh, thanks for doing that. By the way, there was a typo on the bottom of slide three. You know, don't, don't think that that thank you has any meaningful at all. And there are various techniques. There's one I know called ARF question mark. Um, ARF stands for action, results, feeling. Uh, we don't have time to go into what the question mark is now. But so if that person, if your PA or, or, a, or a direct report had stayed late and had some personal sacrifice and you wanted to give them a meaningful thanks, you have to include the action, the results and the feeling. For example, I could say, by the way, Chris, thank you so much for staying late last night even though it means you had to cancel your personal engagement. That's the action. The result is, as a result, the presentation this morning went superbly, and I think we're going to win another customer. That's the result. Now, feeling, that makes me feel so proud to have someone like you on board this team, because you are always prepared to go the extra mile, to do whatever it takes, and that encourages other people to do the same. So thank you very much. Now, that's a thank you. Someone will remember. They'll probably tell their peers. They'll probably tell their family when they go home. And even if you can only do that online because you've got remote workers, if you take the time to give thanks in a meaningful way, it'll build their loyalty. They're more likely to do it again. Um, and they will probably tell their friends, I work in a great company. Why didn't you come and join? Um, so, yes, all of those things are very, very important, never more so than now as we come out of COVID. I agree. Um, and also, if we look at sort of the UK SME owners themselves now, not the staff necessarily, 
Uh, and you touched upon this earlier. Imposter syndrome has always been there, um, uh, you know, it, it, and it's been ever growing. It's it's always been the sort of the, the unspoken about sort of not mental illness, but un, unspoken about uh, element. Um, however, I think with so many um, business owners stuck in their own back bedrooms, front offices, wherever, at home, um, mm. and actually doing okay at the moment, you know, having made some changes yeah. or they've been lucky enough to, to rise, ride the wave to a large degree of the coronavirus issues. Mm. Um, I think it's actually made the imposter syndrome worse from, from, from everything that we've read on the subject. Um, mm. So, um, you know, given your, your, your coaching background uh, and coaching uh, business owners that, that suffer from imposter syndrome, um, are there a couple of things that... Um, that you could advise them to, to be doing to either think positively or, or do things differently to, to actually oh. feel, feel um, beneficial themselves, that they are still going. They're actually doing very well at the moment um, and, I suppose, big up themselves. <laughs> yeah. Well, ironically, imposter syndrome is one of several different self-limiting beliefs that is more prevalent in more senior people because people tend to be dismissive of, well, I was a bit lucky how I got here, or I don't really know how this business works and I should understand it in a little bit more detail. I'm sort of, um, I'm winging it and I'm getting by, but no one's noticed. But the first thing about imposter syndrome, you've got to accept it's a thing. It's there and it can have a massive impact on careers, companies, it can ambush you, it can self-sabotage your success. Um, one way of partly overcoming it is just to recognize that if someone comes to you after you've given a presentation or had a meeting and says, you know, you were superb in that meeting, you did these three things really well. Oh, and by the way, you could have improved maybe in this. When you suffer from imposter syndrome, you tend to focus on that criticism. And you think after, oh, God, how did I let that happen? In, and most of us don't treat ourselves as, as we would a best friend. So one tip is, Treat yourself the way you treat a best friend. If you would have seen your best friend give that same presentation or run the meeting, and there were three positives and one not, wouldn't you want them to focus on the three positives? Sure, we can always learn. We have to keep learning to keep earning. There's no doubt about that. Treat yourself as a best friend. Um, also, it's very important, and as a coach, I, often, I spend quite a bit of time often with chief executives and other senior leaders to understand who are they. Because if you deeply understand who you are, that dismisses some of the false stories about how you don't deserve to be a CEO. If you're running a business, whether you're a CEO, MD, whatever you call yourself, you are almost certainly in the top 1% of the population. You're probably in the top 0.1% of the population. So you are already unusually good in many different ways. And if you can understand who you are, including things like what are your values? What are the things you will refuse to compromise, even if it would make you a bit more money? Um, also, to know who do you want to be? We're, we all should be improving all the time. So who do you want to be in the future? And one really interesting question, which often my clients take a few, few goes to really come up with an answer is, who must you stop being so that you can become the person you want to be. There isn't enough time and energy and brain space to be the person we used to be and the new one. You have to let go. And often it's the things we don't let go of which actually constrains us. So ask yourself, who are you? 
And don't make that on feelings. Do it on facts. You know, you're a successful person. Good at this, and I feel I could be better. You know, try and make a factual CV of yourself. Um, work then think through who do you want to be, and then who do you have to stop being to become that person you want to be. Um, as a coach, I know there are various things called scripts and rules and values which get in the way. A script is something that it's a bit like if you're a movie star and you're given a script and you go through the film following the script with no innovation. And we, by the time we're about 18 to 21, we've all developed our own life script, which is why your friends and colleagues who've known you for some time can predict very accurately what's going to piss you off, what's going to excite you, when you're going to get stressy, when you're going to get excited, when you're going to get bored, because we tend to follow these scripts. Now, that script might have been useful early in your career, but as you go through life, you need to jettison the old scripts and adopt new ones. Same with the rules. A rule is something that connects a belief to a behavior. And so one of my clients um, many years ago ran an IT company. He, he refused to employ anyone with facial hair because he had this belief that people grow facial hair to cover up their mouths so that they can lie. Now, sadly, the reason that belief emerged was that an uncle with a beard tried to molest him when he was 10 years old. And so there was a sort at the time, there was a reason why it's quite understandable. He didn't trust people and he was scared of people with facial hair. So that's understandable. 30 years on, it's not helpful anymore. No. And so that's an example of a rule which sort of made sense at some point, but it become irrelevant and a problem. And I worked with him. We overcame the rule. So often in coaching, you don't just remove an unhelpful belief. You have to replace it with a positive one. And he ended up recruiting people with a beard. And I'm sure as a result, he was recruiting better people. Um, so in terms of how, you know, how, your question about how do you deal with imposter syndrome, I would say accept it's a thing. Treat yourself as you would a best friend. Um, define who you are on facts, not negative, self-deprecating feelings. Um, use various techniques, um, things like the 80-20 rule. If you can correctly identify the 20% of things that will make you happy and the 20% of things that will make you successful, and you spend 80% of your time on those, you'll be more successful, and that will overcome imposter syndrome. Um, and also, of course, I would say this, wouldn't I? Get a coach. It's much easier to, to address some of these deeper issues and to explore, you know, what was it earlier in your life that has given you self-limiting beliefs? And then when you've got that second party, it's like having an added value sounding board, they can challenge you confidentially, get you to recognize that you've got a self-limiting belief and a rule that's unhelpful, and then overcome it. Um, yes. Excellent. Thanks, Peter. Uh, Peter, um, just before we wrap up, um, I think we need to touch upon something else. So as much as the coronavirus crisis has, has uh, clearly dominated um, everything, um, well, do dominated the globe for the last three months, there's also been a, a large resurgence in the last few months as well, um, clearly following the, the killing of George Floyd in the States, um, of diversity uh, and inclusion and, and Black Lives Matter. Um, yeah. How do you think that companies really should be looking to address this within their culture 
and not just turn it into a tick box exercise of, oh, you know, we've done that and uh, you know, we're okay. Yes, very, very good question. I think in some ways this goes back to some of the discussion we had earlier about diversity and inclusivity. Uh, but I recognise this in particular is a very, um, very, very important matter. I think all companies and leaders have to accept this is serious. This is not something to dismiss or be in denial. <clears throat> it is demonstrated a deep underlying inequality and discrimination, which many of us, I guess, go through life vaguely aware of, but it's really brought it home as something important. And I believe it is something that we should all embrace. <clears throat> we shouldn't treat it as something to comply with, but to deeply understand it and to recognise it is the right thing to do and it is to your business's advantage in doing so. Because especially the younger generations I used to say millennials, but I suspect millennials are now approaching their, their, their middle age. Um, it's important to demonstrate to your people that you have the compassion, you're contemporary, you believe in inclusivity and diversity, that you want, you want to be challenged in areas, even something like Black Lives Matter, which might not immediately be seen as like a business topic, but that you want people to come up with new ideas. You want to have these difficult discussions you need people to be strong and yet humble to be able to say i'm sorry i got that wrong how can we move forward together better and also at a pure business level the more you embrace new ideas and diversity and what's behind black lives matter you will start to understand more of your customers your clients who match those um, differences, whether it's Black Lives Matter, whether it's other ethnicity, whether it's age or gender or anything else that's going on. In the VUCA world, everything is changing. And you, you see, in status quo, having everything the same structured and pinned down is what drives efficiency, performance, and profit. During periods of change, all those things get in the way. You need innovation, you need new ideas, you need experimentation, you need trial, you, you, need, you need inclusivity. And therefore, because the world is going faster and it's going more crazy, in fact, I think Black Lives Matter is ever so fortuitous for business to, to get them to wake up and realise we have to be far more open and we need to ask our employees, what's working for you, what isn't? Understand the mega trends that are going on, being seen as responsive. Because if you're responsive to something like Black Lives Matter, people will say they do listen. They do challenge themselves. They come up with new ways forward. They ask us, our employees, for our view. And so I think being seen to embrace Black Lives Matter genuinely is absolutely key. A, it is simply the right thing to do. Secondly, though, if you do it in the right way, it will give your business an advantage. And it, going back to one of the topics we discovered earlier, we discussed earlier about agile thinking. Agile thinking used to be seen as a sort of an organisational thing, whereas now it's very much a mindset. It is a state of mind, and I think leaders 
organisations and society need to be ready to pivot, as we've all pivoted in the last three months due to COVID, equally there's some pivoting we need to do for Black Lives Matter. Excellent. Okay, um, Peter Riding, thank you much for joining us today. Um, and Pleasure. hopefully um, uh, our listeners will, uh, will, will take on board your points. Uh, they'll have scribbled down the, uh, the, the scores earlier and uh, make, make sure that they drive their business to 81. Brilliant. Working with leading experts who know all about the business you run, because your business matters.